0: Inspired by the C.S. Lewis book, Mere Christianity, this podcast is about why I believe what I believe. Welcome to Bear Christianity. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. If you truly believe this, you will not have trouble believing anything else in the Bible, like people living for 900 years, a worldwide flood, Jonah being swallowed by a large fish, an axe head floating... The Nile River being turned into blood, the Red Sea parting, the sun holding still, Jesus being born of a virgin, that Jesus walked on water, he healed the diseased, or or that people were raised from the dead. See, if God created, it all starts with God. Now, we're starting this series on the beginnings, and you may be thinking, okay, Genesis 1, creation, you know, this guy, I was a biology major, I'm an eye doctor, and so you may think I'm going to jump right into all this scientific data to support the existence of God, all these technical arguments, the speed of light, carbon dating, uh, complexities of the human eye. You may think that that's where I'm starting. Uh, actually, I want to go to something deeper than that. Now, I may eventually get to some of those things. But today's question is deeper and more basic. how can we know anything to be true? This series on beginnings we're going to start talking about the beginning of knowledge. Where must our search for knowledge begin? If we want to understand the origins of the universe and mankind, where do we start? And so you can connect with me by email bearity at gmail.com if you have questions or comments. Also, you can follow me on Instagram. Now, my podcast New Year's resolution, I guess, would be to post more on Instagram and Twitter. And so if you've followed me in the past and you just, I never post anything (laughs) because I didn't really. Um, Now, so I plan on posting, I mean, like, you know, hopefully some funny stuff, just, you know, it's not going to be like a bunch of advertisements for this podcast, right? Uh, just basic stuff that that goes on in life. Occasionally, I do plan on putting, you know, things about a new episode releasing, or maybe um, a quote or audio clip from the podcast. So uh, I hope to use that, but it's not just going to be constant like advertisements. Um, so anyway, follow me on Instagram at the real bear Martin and all of those words have an, an underline thing in between them. And then you can follow me on Twitter and it's Bear Martin or at Bear Four, the number four, Christos, Bear for Christos on twitter so anyway uh for a bear in the woods this is just kind of a random section of the show uh just for me to brainstorm a bunch of different topics and you can send in questions that you want me to answer as well Uh, just any random question you have but i was thinking about this the other day there were some ants on one of the benches on our picnic table outside and i had to step on them with my foot and so i was thinking you know what would the daily news sound like if you were an ant You know, we as humans, we, a lot of people, I don't, I don't watch the daily news. It's just depressing. And so, uh, you know, but think about how depressing the daily ant news would be. Imagine the opening lines from the six o'clock ant news today, a father, mother, and their 1500 children were poisoned to death as they were harvesting food for the winter. An entire city on the outskirts of the driveway province was destroyed by a monster wearing white New Balance shoes and high socks. Rebuilding is underway and will be completed in the next few hours. The Red Ant Army advanced between a large crevice on the backside of a monster after it sat on their village. Though some were swatted to their death, others were carried by the monster into his large fortress. An entire assembly line of workers were annihilated after being caught in a rainstorm. The most honorable and all-powerful ant leader is calling for an immediate climate control summit to prevent this from ever happening again. So what's the truth of the beginning? How do we know the origins of the universe and, and the origin of mankind? How can we know truth? How can we gain knowledge and wisdom? Proverbs one seven the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction proverbs nine ten the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight proverbs fifteen thirty three The fear of the Lord is instruction in wisdom, and humility comes before honor so wisdom knowledge insight it begins with the fear of the Lord now. This concept, I just want you to think about that. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. There is a lot there. And so you probably think, oh yeah, of course, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. No problem. I've heard this a million times, but let that sink in because over the next few episodes, that's going to keep coming up again. And and it's going to have a richer, deeper meaning uh, by the time I've done explaining a few things. So the fear of the Lord is be- is the beginning of knowledge. We must humble ourselves to the Lord. We must submit our own thoughts and beliefs to what the Lord says is true. The what what God said is true, that is the standard. That is ultimate truth. It is not what you think is true, it's not what you feel is true, and it's not what the world says is true. It is what God says is true. There's two basic categories. There's believers And non-believers. Believers Believers humble themselves before the Lord. Non-believers have confidence in their own ways, in their own knowledge. Believers start with God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Non-believers start with other forms of epistemology now that's a big word epistemology is the study of how we can know things and so there's reasoning and logic there's the scientific method there's experience uh you know uh, lifetime experiences and also the senses right now I'm wearing headphones on my head how do I know I have headphones on my head well I can feel them around my ears and and there's a reflection in the window in front of me and I can see them on my face and so the the different senses. We can know things that way. But ultimate truth, ultimate knowledge comes from the fear of the Lord. God is what who determines what is true. And so over the next few episodes, I'll be building on this. So this brings us to a discussion of presuppositions. Presuppositions, or another way of saying this, is a, a worldview. So there's a Christian worldview. I'm a Christian, and so when I look out and see things happening in the world or I look out at nature, I am I am evaluating those facts. I'm evaluating that through the lens of the Christian worldview. The atheist will look at the exact same stuff, but they are evaluating that data, those facts, through the atheistic worldview. Uh, there's, you know, everybody has a worldview, and so there's Islam. Muslims are going to evaluate the world through the teachings of the Quran and and Muhammad. Uh, Mormons are going to evaluate the world through what the Prophet Joseph Smith taught them in the, in the Book of Mormon. And so there, everybody has these presuppositions, these basic truths that they then evaluate everything else through. And so John Frame is a Christian theologian, and he defines a presupposition as this. It's, quote, a belief over which no other takes precedence, a basic commitment of the heart. All thinking, feeling, and intentions have their basis in presuppositions. There can be no neutrality, nor can there be any reasoning from brute Facts. Uh, so basically what he's saying there is a, a presupposition, is a belief over which no other takes precedence. It is, it is this foundational truth to which everything else is is evaluated. And so a great example of this, it, it, he, he says later, he says, there can be no neutrality, there can be no reasoning from brute facts. A great example of this is COVID. All right. So you have people saying, just look at the facts, look at the data on both sides of the argument. So you have people are saying, get the vaccine. Can't you see the, the data? Can't you see the facts? And then you have people say, don't get the vaccine. Can't you see the data? Can't you see the facts? Wear a mask. Can't you see the facts? Don't wear a mask. Can't you see the facts? So the pre- there's a deeper belief. There's a deeper presupposition. And through that presupposition, they are then evaluating all the other Data. Okay. All the other scientific facts. That's why he says there can be no neutrality. Some, some super pro-vaxxer and some super anti-vaxxer are not going to be able to, they, they their presuppositions are so strong that they're not going to be able to come together and say, okay, let's just lay all the data out in front of us and come to an agreement. Their presuppositions are so strong that, in order for one of them to change their mind, it's not going to be the the raw facts data. It's going to be that their presupposition has to be destroyed. and which is a lot harder. A presupposition is a is such a a solid, Internal belief that it is extremely difficult for someone to release or give up their their presupposition. Uh, a great story to to as an example, and I can, I've heard this from several sources, so I don't know where it originated. But there's this man. Let's let's assume there's this man who truly believes he's dead. His family has tried to convince him that he's not dead by all kinds of different ways. He, he truly believes that he's dead. So they take him to the doctor and the doctor you know, questions him. And, and he says, OK, the doctor says, OK, how can I try to show this man he's not dead? So he asks the man, do dead men bleed? And, you know, after thinking, he says, well, you know, there's there's no heart pumping in their chest. And so they are not going to bleed. So the man says, no, dead man, dead men don't bleed. So then the doctor cuts the man on the arm and blood starts you know gushing from his arm. And the man looks down and sees the blood. And he says, what do you know? I guess dead men do bleed. All right. So there's the story. And see, his presupposition is that he is dead. Therefore, all other evidence, all other data, everything that is presented to him is seen through that lens. He, that is his core belief, his presupposition. And so you can see why that, that's a lot harder to break down. Remember, John Frame's definition is a belief over which no other takes precedence. Now, what are some other examples of presuppositions? So I just finished this you know, long series on Roman Catholicism. Don't worry, listeners, we're not drifting back into it. But this is a great example. Uh, what did I mention over and over again in that series? It's the difference in sola scriptura versus sola ecclesia. Sola scriptura means scripture alone. Sola ecclesia is the church alone. And so in Roman Catholic belief, the Roman Catholic church is infallible. Whatever the the church says is true dogmatically, then it must be true. I shared a quote towards the end of that series. This is on a Catholic Answers tract, and it's, it's, quote, The Catholic Church was commissioned by Christ to teach all nations infallibly until the end of the world. The mere fact that the church teaches that something is definitely true is a guarantee that it is true. So the, what's the presupposition for the Roman Catholic? It is that the Roman Catholic Church is true, that the Roman Catholic dogmas taught by the church are true. And so what happens, you know, over and over again in that series, I am making scriptural arguments that are that are antagonistic to what the Roman Catholic Church teaches. See, Rome, the Roman Catholic Church, they they confess that they hold scripture and tradition Equally, and and what my challenge to them is that no, you are not holding them equally. That that's why James White came, you know, mentions this phrase, "sola ecclesia," the church alone. See, because if the church and and the tradition uh, um, pronounced by the church, if the church says what tradition is, and the church says what scripture means, then scripture is not any kind of ultimate authority. It is the church that is over scripture. The church interprets scripture for you. And so they don't hold scripture and tradition as equal. It is the church above that tells you what tradition is and tells you what scripture means. Their ultimate presupposition is that the Roman Catholic church is true. And so in order for a Roman Catholic to leave Catholicism, that is what has to fall. You know, it, it, they have to. They have to eventually come to realize that the Roman Catholic Church is not infallible. They, it is not perfect in in all the the dogmas. That it, so that's what has to break down. It's that presupposition, that deeper belief that the Roman Catholic Church is not true. Think about Latter-day Saints. They're also known as Mormons, but they prefer the phrase Latter-day Saint. Anyway, uh, when when you're talking with a Latter-day Saint and you ask them a question, if if they don't really have a great answer for it, if you present them something that you you feel like kind of breaks down their system, a lot of times what you're going to get is, well, I know that Joseph Smith is a true prophet of God, and I know the Book of Mormon is true. The Holy Spirit has revealed that truth to me. So they will bear their testimony that that Joseph Smith is a, a true prophet of God. That is their presupposition. So all data, all evidence that Joseph Smith is not a true prophet. You know, his, he's involved in a, a lot of you know polygamy type stuff, uh, false prophecies. There's errors in the Book of Mormon. Um, he he changes his theology over time. Any kind of troubling evidence against Joseph Smith or the Book of Mormon. They, they fall back on that presupposition. The Holy Spirit told me Joseph Smith is a true prophet and the Book of Mormon is true. So therefore, any of that evidence, it, it, there must be an explanation for it. So they're, they're holding tight to that presupposition. An atheist, the presupposition is that there is no God. That, no, that, so therefore, miracles, uh, the supernatural does not exist. A miracle cannot occur. And so if, if matter is all that exists and everything is natural, then everything eventually can be explained through science. We just, we just haven't discovered enough yet. We, we don't have all the explanations, but eventually, uh, you know, science will just continue to, we'll will continue to get smarter and smarter until we can explain pretty much everything. So a, as we evolve, their, their faith is in time, that over time, uh, we will eventually know why things happen. So when you present evidence for miracles, like in like the first 10 episodes of this podcast, I think I um I did some episodes on the resurrection of Jesus and I gave what's called the minimal facts argument. And that was uh, first promoted by Gary Habermas as, as far as I know. But anyway, he, he says, okay, let's just assume what atheist scholars... And Christian scholars uh, assume to be true these minimal facts, these minimal historical facts about what happened around the time of Jesus' resurrection. And then let's look at that. And and he tries to say that there's no natural explanation for all that that can fit all of these together. Therefore, there's a, a higher chance that Jesus actually did, you know, raise from the dead. And so that's the minimal facts argument. But for an atheist, no matter how convincing that argument may seem to the Christian, when we hear that, we're like, "Wow, yeah, that's awesome. But for the atheist, there the, the thought is, well, eventually we'll know. We don't we don't have a great explanation right now for a natural means, but eventually we'll figure it out. And so their presupposition is that there must be a natural explanation. Miracles cannot happen. Uh, Bart Ehrman is a uh, who uh, he professed to be a Christian. Now he he's like atheist, agnostic, and he writes a lot of material against Christianity. You know, he, he in talking about the resurrection, he says a miracle is the least likely thing that can happen. Therefore, no matter what, no matter how crazy the natural explanation, that's still more likely than a miracle. And so, it, you know. In his mindset, his presupposition is that miracles just don't happen. And so anything else has to be better than that. Now, what are my presuppositions? You know, Why do I believe what I believe? Well, it of course, it starts with the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Uh, in 2 Corinthians 10, Paul is addressing some of his critics. And so Paul uh, wrote a few letters to the church in Corinth. And so when he was with them, uh, some false teachers arose that, that basically say, don't believe paul's message believe our message and and paul's addressing that and they they're critiquing paul and in 2 Corinthians 10:10 10, 10, we get sort of an idea of what they may have been saying uh, they say quote his letters are weighty and strong but his bodily presence is weak and his speech of no account and so paul was not trying to impress the church in Corinth with these fancy speeches, Paul's message was simple. Uh, listen to this brief section. This is into his first letter to the church in Corinth, and he's going to contrast the wisdom of the world with with wisdom, which comes from God. 1 Corinthians 1, verses 17 through 20, and this passage goes a lot longer. So 1 Corinthians 1, you know, read through that on your own time, but uh, it says this, for, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, So there, Paul is saying, my my message is simple. I preach Christ and him crucified, and it's a stumbling block to Jews, and it's folly or foolishness to the Gentiles, but Paul starts with Christ, and he trusts that that Christ is where we must start for ultimate truth. Uh, just a few verses earlier, I am already read 2 Corinthians 10.10, 10, but 2 Corinthians 10.5, Paul says this, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. We learn this principle that you must obey the Lord. You must obey Christ. We learn this principle in the earliest chapters of Genesis that wisdom is gained by obeying the Lord. It does not matter what looks right, feels right, sounds right, or what the experts say. What matters is that we obey what the Lord has said. In Genesis 3, verses 4 through 6, this is where Adam and Eve are being tempted by the serpent uh, in the Garden of Eden. It says this, but the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. So there we have the serpent, the, the worldly expert, and then we have Eve assessing this fruit. It, it's desired, you know, to make her wise. It looks good. It feels right. This, You know, all, all her worldly um, intuitions are saying this is the right thing to do. And what Adam and Eve failed to do is to obey the Lord. That is where wisdom starts. You must start with obeying the Lord. That's where I start. And so I'll show you as I build on this over the next few episodes, but this is why I believe certain things about creation that I believe because it starts with what God says is true. I want to be obedient to the Lord. I want to take every thought captive to obey Christ. Now, how can we do that? It is, we have to know what Jesus taught and that we find that in God's word, the Bible. So we know Jesus from the New Testament. But also, as Jesus is revealed in the New Testament, he shows us himself in the Old Testament. So it is the Bible, both the Old and the New Testament, that is is where we begin with knowledge. If we want to obey Christ, if we want to fear the Lord in order to gain knowledge, how do we do that? How can we obey? How can we be reverent to the Lord? It is by reading and studying the Bible and obeying what it says. And so uh, two examples of how Jesus connects himself to uh, in the New Testament to the Old Testament on the road to Emmaus. This is after Jesus' resurrection, Luke 24, 27. Jesus is talking to uh, some disciples, and they don't recognize him yet. And it says that, in beginning with Moses and all the prophets," that is, the Old Testament, Jesus interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Also, uh, before Jesus was crucified, the Sadducees are trying to trick Jesus, basically, and they ask them a question about resurrection. The Sadducees did not believe in resurrection. The Pharisees did. Uh, anyway, Jesus confronts them in, in Matthew twenty-two twenty-nine, 29, but Jesus answered them, you are wrong because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. In Matthew twenty-two thirty-one, 31, just a few verses down, it sa- Jesus says, and as for the resurrection of the dead, which is what they were questioning him about... Jesus says, have you not read what was said to you or spoken to you by God? Have you not read what was spoken to you by God? Jesus is referring here to the Old Testament. And so we, we obey God by looking to God's word. And Jesus held the Sadducees in his day accountable for not knowing what God had spoken to them through what he says, have you not read, meaning there's something written down that God spoke to them. And that is the old Testament. So I'm trying to take every thought captive to obey Christ. I'm not, I'm not saying I'm perfect in doing that, but that is my goal. I want to submit every thought to the truth of God's word. God's word, the Bible, is my ultimate authority because that's how I know about God. God has revealed himself to us through the Bible. That's how we know. So that is our ultimate standard or that that's my ultimate standard of truth and authority. It is not science. It is not philosophy. It's not what experts say. It is the Bible, the B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the Word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. I learned that as a kid, and that's still what I'm striving to do today. Now, you may be thinking, this—you know his argumentation sounds really circular, kind of like, the Bible is true because the Bible says it's true, or God exists because the Bible says God exists, and how do we know about God because... Of the Bible, right? So you may think that I'm sort of arguing in this simple circle, like, okay, everybody has their presuppositions, and we just kind of arbitrarily pick one. We don't know what's true. We don't know which one is true. Everybody's kind of picked their own presupposition to believe. Like I picked the Bible, and Roman Catholics picked the Church, and you know, Mormons picked Joseph Smith, and and Muslims picked the Quran, and you know, everybody has their own presupposition. And it's just this arbitrary decision and you know sometimes we're convinced to go one way or the other. No, I want to dive deeper in this. I'm not arguing in a circle. I'm not saying the Bible is true because the Bible says it's true. I'll go deeper next week. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. So I'm saying you must start with God and refusing to submit to God will ultimately result in foolishness for all those other presuppositions. That's why I think my presupposition is the correct one, because it, all of the other ones break apart as you investigate the, the uh, core beliefs. And so I'll build on this. In Romans 1, 18 through 22, this will be our closing verse. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and His divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made." So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools.